Welcome to Mama Doesn't Tell Lies. It's the podcast series that's uplifting and real and gives you the truth bombs that you can handle while talking parenthood. Spawned from a desire to know more while also wishing that someone who had done it all before had shared their stories. Each episode, we talk about something true and something real. This mama here, along with my guest hosts each episode, Don't Tell Lies. So if you're a parent, want to be a parent, but just appreciate a giggle, strap yourself in for the ride and let's do it. On this episode... Uh, welcome to another episode of Mama Doesn't Tell Lies. I am so fortunate to be welcoming season two um, with an incredible woman who I have done a little bit of Google stalking, a little bit of Instagram stalking, and we've never met in person, which is really exciting. Um, but the mummy matcher herself, Hayley Thiel, and am I saying it right or is it Teal? It's Teal-y, but that's okay. Teal-y, we get that all okay. the time. That's, yeah. That is something you obviously get all the time. Um, so Haley is a proud mother of three daughters plus a stepdaughter, so four girls in the house. Mm-hmm. That's a lot mm-hmm. of hormones. Um, my lucky husband. Uh, um, have you got a pet? Yes, and he's a boy. Yeah. Okay, good. So the balance is slightly there, but not slightly. Um, and how old are your girls? My girls are 18 months, three and five, and my stepdaughter is turning 12 this month. And decided that even though you've got your hands full, you still wanted to do something for the mums of the world, and you created Mummy Matcher. But we'll take a step back before we do that, is that your um, career started out, you studied midwifery Mm. originally, and was it having a child that put you off that, or just... um, your path followed a different path. I guess it was, I, I felt really honoured doing my, my mid and I must say I never finished it. I did two and a half years of a three-year degree. So if I could go back and slap the young 20-year-old me, I would and say just finish it. But I loved the working with women. I loved supporting them as they birthed their babies, but the clinical side was just not good for my nerves. <laughs> I was great while it was going well, but then when things weren't going that well, I just found that all my heart did was beat really fast in my chest and I felt I just didn't want that responsibility to be on. That is a big responsibility to have, but that's okay. Um, So having a change of heart, you went on to work for 10 years of victims of crime and um, interestingly worked in the domestic violence space, which is now more than ever. It's um, Mm. it's really scary, the the statistics that are coming out at the moment. And what did you do there? And this was obviously pre-children as well. Um, I worked with victims of crime, but with all genders of victims of crime. And then I went on to coordinate a program in the organisation that I worked for that basically tried to reduce the risk of homelessness in women and children who had experienced domestic violence because uh, domestic violence is one of the leading cause of homelessness in women. Um, We worked um, with a statewide team to implement a program, the first of its kind, and I was really fortunate to sort of be driving that around South Australia and um, we upgraded the security of women's homes when a 
that abusive partner had been removed. So, so you've done mm. some pretty inspiring work in your time, but nothing can prepare you for how inspirational and challenging motherhood is. You've done it three times over with your own children <laughs> and obviously a stepdaughter as well. And before we get into the to the depths of this, my question I always like to ask is, what's the one piece of advice that you wish someone had pulled you aside and said to you? in an honest and frank way? Oh, my goodness. I've been thinking of this. I think mum guilt encapsulates everything. The depth and the the breadth of things that you feel guilty over. So when you first have a baby, you know, it's always that vaginal versus cesarean birth. And then it's, you know, will you breastfeed? And then, you know, the guilt of not being able to breastfeed. And then when you start solids, are you baby led weaning? Are you doing this and then you know is your baby sleeping and the guilt of going back to work I could go on and on I I suffer a lot from mum guilt so yeah I wish someone had of sort of I guess given me a heads up on just how extreme mum guilt can be <laughs> and also how unforgiving we are of ourselves we're so Absolutely. forgiving of everyone else around us and yet we're the most unforgiving and probably the most critical of ourselves and I don't think the mum guilt ever goes away it's probably how you uh, reconcile it because there's always something to be guilty about you're either being too independent not independent enough too nurturing not nurturing enough too much tv too much stimulation well we could go on and on it is and i feel like we're um especially the modern women now there's there used to be i guess that those real gender roles in terms of you know, child rearing and, you know, the house and then the man goes and works. And thank God we are not in that um, in that type of world anymore. But we, I don't think we've found the balance yet between how empowering women to work. I mean, you just look at it and what work day do you know that finishes at three o'clock when school does? Don't get me started on my soapbox, but you know, our, our entire society is built towards there being one parent at home. So yeah, I, I do think we've got a little bit of just paving our way to do. Absolutely. And if COVID has taught us anything, it's that we need to be adaptable and that we're meant to just be everything to everyone, yeah. including teachers yeah. and educators and things that we're not necessarily equipped for. But that's, I mean, the mum guilt thing, honestly. I really, if you're listening and you're a mother or you're about to be a mother, please listen to us. In all yes. honesty, you cannot pass the mum guilt. Um, it does come back. And when you think you've na- nailed it, it comes back in another form, doesn't it? That's right. But if you were talking to a girlfriend who was doing the exact same things as you, parenting exactly the same, you'd be like, you're doing a great job, babe. Why are you being so hard on yourself? It's just, it's mind-blowing. So let's talk about your daughters. So you've got three beautiful daughters that you have birthed. Um, yeah. One of them... Your youngest daughter, who's 18 months old, mm-hmm. has some challenges. So your first two daughters, I presume, are happy and healthy and full of life? Yes. Um, so Maggie is my eldest and Aria is the poor middle child. And then there is Pippa, who has tagged on in at the end. So um, Pippa was born, I must say, straight up, I feel very ripped off about the third baby. I was told the third baby was the easiest. And I tell you what, I want the money back. No, I shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, so Pippa was born um, with what's called a micro deletion, which basically means that she's missing a teeny tiny, minute piece of um, 
DNA on a pair of her chromosomes. Like it's, it's so small. And she inherited that from her dad. He's the carrier. And so some people can just carry it and be benign and not know that they've got the deletion because we've all got our own special makeup. And a lot of us actually have a significant number of small micro deletions that we don't know about, or they can display um, symptoms or, you know, have different physical characteristics, which is Miss Pippa. Right. And so what does that mean on a day-to-day basis for you? So first up, Pippa started out, she was my smallest baby by a lot, which I think um, was, I guess, that first indicator. It's all, it's very easy to go back now and look and try and, you know, you can sort of piece it together. But she was born with a severe tongue tie. So we did the whole, went and got that snipped and we're doing physio and all that, but she still wasn't feeding well. Um, this is where also, if you're a new mum listening, just fed is best. I was breastfeeding, I was topping up, I was expressing, and then I was pumping in between. Like it was just, you know, I look back now, I want to go myself. So long story short, we ended up being admitted to hospital with failure to thrive because I'd put her on a bottle and she still wasn't, I guess, getting better or putting on weight, but she was still really happy. And this is the difference with Pippa because my understanding was always, well, when a baby's sick, they're miserable. And so I just put it down to her being really small. But after lots of toing and froing, it turns out that she was aspirating into her lungs, the milk. So we ended up with a nasogastric tube, um, which she still has now for fluids. And then from that, she's also had chronic sleep apnea. So she was on oxygen for, um, for a while to help with that. She'd stop breathing a lot. So I guess that's another indicator that if your child snores, it's not normal. So go and get that checked out. And she has really low muscle tone. So she's um, got what's called gross motor delay, which impacts on how she moves, you know, how she feeds, how she talks. So for instance, now as an 18 month old, she's starting to really babble, but she can't formulate, I guess, those words because the muscles aren't um, strong like they are on a typically developing child. So a typical day is pretty normal, you know, to everyone else. It's just the fact that she she can't drink. So we give her all her fluids via her nasogastric tube. And we just have to be careful on what foods and stuff we give her. So the best example is wheat bix. We can give her wheat bix, but the milk has to be absorbed in because if the milk's too thin, then she aspirates the milk and all that sort of stuff. So and make it sound so normal and I think that's a really empowering thing for you that you have just normalised this in your life because it's probably the only mm-hmm. way you can go about it because it's something that it is what it is and again not to draw on COVID so much but if anything that COVID has taught us is you just get on with it and yeah. you have to follow the rules and in your mm. daughter's case in Beautiful Pippa's case it sounds like there are some pretty simple rules that you can follow to make her life as comfortable as possible. With her sisters she rules yeah. the roost. She is more work than the other two put together. She is full on she is so loud she's completely full of life and honestly if you didn't like she's very small for her age but if you didn't if she didn't have the tube on her face I don't think anyone would think that there was anything and I'm using inverted commas here you know wrong with her they're just her special features which is what we sort of call them now you know they make her her but also to to the mums listening to this who are sort of at the beginning of their journey is that and yes I use the word journey I try not to do I I can talk about it now because I sort of feel like we're over the hump of the worst of it if that makes sense or I am just so used to it but in the beginning it was awful you know I 
I'll never forget sitting in the oxygen training was what broke me. So the nasogastric tube didn't bother me. To me, it was very pragmatic. We, she will be able to swallow eventually and all that sort of stuff. But I just remember sitting in the oxygen training, which you have to do so you can be released from hospital when your child has oxygen. And they brought out the canister. And I just thought to myself, I have two other kids at home, you know, because at that point I had three under four and we do play groups every morning. We go on walks, like we're a very active family. And I went, how am I supposed to have a nappy bag, this oxygen canister, a child that won't be put down? And I just sat in my, in the corner of the room crying. (laughs) You know what? It's. I think it's really important to to sit with those feelings and mm. and work through them because the only way you can move forward is to knowledge. And I'm certainly not a psychologist by any measure, but from my own experience and through those of others, I find that the most important thing is to say, "Hey, this is happening to me," and just breathe life into the thoughts that are going in your head. So in that moment, mm. the tears that came, I would imagine there would have been people around you saying, "It's okay. They're not going to just leave you sitting in." there by yourself and did you reach out did you have a support network outside of the four walls of the hospital at that stage to help you through Um, that yeah so it's sort of and I guess this is a little bit in um I know we'll talk about it moving forward is mummy matcha but this is a little bit how I came up with the concept of mummy matcha because I am one of the most fortunate luckiest people in the world in terms of support network. I met an amazing group of women with my first baby who um, have become lifelong friends. I have a supportive family, supportive husband, so I am so lucky. But none of them have walked in the had walked in the shoes of having a child with special features it was a whole different ball game and so whilst it was great to talk to them i really struggled because they couldn't understand what it was like you know and the beauty of my gorgeous friends is they never pretended that they could and they did know that what it was like but what i found was when i could connect with other medical mums and just the unspoken understanding that you get is just I I can't put into words the way the way that that helped in that way. Um, but you found it challenging to find those medical mums, didn't you? Because you're right, yeah. your mother's group, you're particularly with your first child, your mother's group are your friends for life. If you get yeah. lucky the right group we had one mum in our group who's got twin boys and one of them has breathing difficulties so she has sought solace not only did she have twins but she also had one that was unwell a lot of the time so outside of our initial mother's group she had Mm. all on and and they served a purpose and I guess that's what that purpose built that you need mums that understand what exactly what you're mm. going through or as close to like for like yeah. versus just your everyday mother's group that you kind of go, oh, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, and a couple of these girls um, from the mother's group have become my closest friends. Um, we are bestest friends and so they listen to me they they deal with my tantrums and um I can call them and go look I just need the vent I don't need you to fix me and they give me that solace but being able to talk to someone who just understands that when you have the oxygen tank hanging on your pram don't get the baby out without warning because then the pram goes you know or don't you know those different things and I mean this sounds terrible but I was at the gym once 
and there's a crash in our gym and we mm. call the oxygen Odie. Um, Odie fell off my back because I only had it in the one, one armhole and my three-year-old's hand was on the gate and so Odie's gone onto her hand and has completely smashed her poor little thumb which she's then lost her nails and you know blood and all that sort of stuff and you know I just remember going you wouldn't read about that in a normal mother's group would you and I hate using the word normal and so I went to my mummy friends and said oh this happened today and they went oh I remember when I did that to so and so and it broke the bottom of my pram and it hit so and so across the head and that's just so normal it's it's doesn't have to be sad I guess it can you can find solace in those people and so let's get into so mummy matcha did it come from that experience specifically or was it something that was brewing I've always loved working with women I love community and I love the empowerment that can come when women actually work together and build each other up I'm always going to work with women the Mummy matcha did come from having Pippa, I have to say, because I remember I was four hours from home sitting in hospital and just going, I just want to talk to someone. Like I'm genuinely concerned about the developmental delays and stuff that might be Pippa and I'm really concerned about X, Y, Z. And people go, well, why didn't you go onto Facebook groups? And I'm like, I am part of every Facebook group you can find. But there's no way I'm going to go onto there and go, oh, I'm worried that my child might have an intellectual disability or she might have autism or, you know, there might be other sorts of um, cognitive delays because there's always someone who's worse off than you. And there's a bit of, um, there can be disability prejudice, you know, well, well, if my, if my baby was, you know, like yours, because Pippa, again, she doesn't look sick. And so there was no way, and I live in a regional community as well. There was no way I was putting out my heart and soul, my deepest, darkest thoughts on a public forum. So that was how the idea and I did connect with a mum in hospital and she is now one of my closest gorgeous I call her my best medical mum friend and we just get it you know mm-hmm. we we just get it um there's no other way to put it they got to the point where the nurses in the hospital would ask me to go and talk to mums who were sort of new to the ward or struggling a little bit and just needed someone to talk to because it's really overwhelming you know and you've got to remember you're in a ward full of sick babies and it's not something you ever plan <laughs> to be part of so that would, that's like, you know, how, yeah, that is how I guess the concept of mummy matcha came to me and it's just sort of grown from there. And it's a wonderful service. So the premise of it is that you put your hand up and say, I need someone I can confide in or someone who has a shared experience or I'm not, I guess maybe it's just I'm not getting from the people I know in my immediate circle. Maybe there's mm. a level of guilt or it might be you want someone who doesn't know your past or your judgment, or your, without judgment, I guess. Is that is that accurate? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And it's the thing on just being able to talk about things, say, with hospital. I don't have to tell my medical mums that we've been fasting from X, Y, Z, that we have to do another round of IVs and PICs and this, that and the other because that's just that assumed knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, which I know sounds silly and 
I didn't want it to be only for medical mums. And I guess that's where the beauty of my career has shown me that women are amazing and everyone has a unique story and Mm -hmm. you never know what's going on underneath someone's, you know, underneath the surface. So I decided to open it up. So I've worked with mums who are experiencing life-limiting conditions, who other, like predominantly medical mums are taking us up, traumatic births, new mums. So just to find that person that you can go, you get me on a level that no one else, I've got enough friends in my life, you know Mm. what I mean? Like you've got people you can go and have coffee with and, and it's just to reduce that isolation. You know, it's just someone that you can flick an email to, have a chat on Messenger, and go, you know, I've got a mum friend who I can be like, oh, Pippa's pulled her tube four times today, you know, and we can have a laugh about it and go, oh, you know, whereas other people, I find people are scared of Pippa just because of like when she had her oxygen and her nasogastric tubes and all that sort of stuff. It's quite confronting to a lot of people. But when it's your life and you're around other people with those situations you just don't think anything of it really what you draw on the isolation thing now more than ever mm-hmm. having someone to to talk to that has a relatable experience or I think that's part of it but also the fact that it's kind of like speed dating in that you both know what you're in for Absolutely. because you're both obviously you know like it's like if you join a mentor program in your workplace like it might be someone you've never spoken to beyond a hello in the hallway and all of a sudden they're the person you're confiding in the most because you know that they are open, they're a receptacle mm. to your information, um, yeah. which in itself, in itself is comforting. When I went through my postnatal anxiety, I was very forthcoming, getting seeking help, but reached out to a few friends who I could see were in a similar position but hadn't actively voiced it and said, yeah are you okay? Are you surviving? Are you thriving? What's what's going on? And they weren't willing to take that step. So I guess the first thing is just finding the courage to join the mummy matcher mm. and, and to acknowledge. Mm. So maybe if people are listening and it might not be them, but it might be a friend that they recognize who's having a bit of a tough mm. time because their child has xyz or they've gone through a marriage breakup or whatever it may be and maybe it's a it's a good way to suggest it to them as opposed to asking them to put themselves forward on a blind date is that a good is that a good approach is that where you're finding people are reaching out yeah and and i am getting a lot of oh i haven't really spoken about x you know with with my husband or i haven't spoken about y with my friends i don't want them to know but i want to talk about it Mm. Um, and I think that is the best way to describe it where it's more of a discreet community in terms of, you know, it's a one-to-one. So the way it works is people, they're getting to know you forms come in and they're very comprehensive and I match people based on the information with that. And I should say, I do have a diploma of psychology and some other sort of, um, you know, education behind me but most of it is so you're legit (laughs) yeah I don't know about that it's only a diploma of psychology but it's definitely um helped me well if you've worked in the in the dv space you've got an inherent understanding of people's psyches and relationships and personalities obviously speaks to you yeah it does and community but I am in the process of building um so we've got the one-to-one things but um I'm in the process of building an online community hub so people yes they're wanting that singular connection but then there seems to also be the demand for that real sense of community which some people argue could get on a Facebook group 
And I'm like, that's fine. You know, go to the Facebook group. But this I'm seeing more as, I don't know if you experienced it with your postnatal anxiety, but you'd be sitting in mother's group and just going, these aren't my people. I can't mm. connect with um, with this person who got eight hours sleep last night and, um, you know, is breastfeeding on demand and all this sort of stuff. Whereas really, I just don't want to see my baby for a couple of hours and I just want to have a coffee and a shower in peace. So yeah, so it's for the people who feel that, who struggle to listen to first world problems because we've all got first world problems, but I guess it's just a bit of a sanctuary to be able to go, you know, everyone's experience is unique, but mine's just got maybe a little bit more of a layer of complexity. It sounds pretty structured as well, but also comforting, like a warm hug would be at the moment. Yeah. That we all can't have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah. It's, it's, and that's what it is. It's just, I want it to be a virtual hug. So I'm in the process of doing all the research and really nutting that out and working with a business coach. And I just really want that want to be part of it is this your side hustle how does it sit in your infrastructure because you've got a lot on your plate yeah (laughs) my dream is for it to be my full-time hustle but at the moment it is my side hustle because I am also working a day job too as well as raising all all of the children (laughs) yeah yeah as as you can tell um well people can't see us but if you could see me right now I'm fully Boarding the mum bun and you know the no makeup and all that sort of stuff. But the organised chaos of life yeah. that is um, any working mother. It's been really insightful to understand where it came from and what's the best way for people who are listening, going, "Oh my god, I have to sign up to that." That sounds exactly what I need. How do they do it? So the easiest thing would probably be to find us on our socials because everyone is on Instagram. If you just search "Mummy Matcha," we will come up. Otherwise, head to our website which is www.mummymatcha.com.au. Amazing. Now, always in closing, um, I like to say, what's the, this is really hard, the one piece of (laughs) advice, if you could give it to a new mum, what's one piece that you would always give? It's like, you know, how you always have that one bottle of wine you always give to a friend or one book you give to kids for things. What's the one piece of advice? It does get easier. I'm not going to say better, but it does get easier. So those newborn first weeks of people told you that you would not get much sleep, but you did not understand the gravity of how little sleep that will pass. You know, the fussy six-month-old days, that will pass. It does get easier you can do it. <laughs> and then there's a new hurdle to jump because like at the moment it for is. us, it's trying to re-regulate our child who is suddenly getting to see mum and dad a whole lot more and just wants to hang out yeah. with us all the time and cannot independently play. Oh my goodness. And oh, sorry, can I change it too? <laughs> as well, I've got <laughs> of course that. you can. Um, I, it's more so, no, now that I really think about it is to, it's okay to think your child's an asshole. Yes. Too, you know, <laughs> like mums are portrayed as these mythical beings and we are because we are amazing. Mm. But it's okay to not to be around your kid, want to be around your kids all the time. Mm. I don't and I'm still a good mum. 
As Um, I've realised in coming from full-time employment into no employment um, over the last few weeks and spending so much time at home, I'm the first to admit I'm not designed to be a full-time mother and I've made my peace with that. I'm a better mum when I'm doing it part-time. And I think a lot of people are realising that, that you don't necessarily have to want to spend 24-7 with your children, even though we birth them and they're things that we long for. And I feel guilty saying that when I know there are women out there who desperately want for children and can't have them but at the same time everyone's got their own experience and some people are natural mothers all the time others it's good to know your quotas <laughs> yeah and it's really hard I, I really struggle with that because I want to I always try and be really honest about my struggles with with motherhood and be like oh they weren't assholes today thank god for bed and I know that there is a woman listening going I wish that I was isolated with children and having to juggle and all this sort of stuff. And so I do I, I do feel for them as well. But I think there's a point where we need to be able to express ourselves in fear of not being judged in whatever way that is. And, yeah, you can think that your child's an arsehole. You're not a bad mum. I, I often think that my son's a turd and I said it out loud the other day and got a scolding from my husband because I was in here shot oh, really? at him. So, um, well, sorry, Hamish, um, you are a turd sometimes though. Well, it's been we a really... the birds for the kids behind their backs. So, oh, you know... so good. I'm definitely going to yeah. do that. I feel like that passive little yeah. F you that they can't see or hear. Yeah. There will be a lot of um, that's it's that's your best tip. There you go. <laughs> give your give your kids the finger. <laughs> uh, well, Haley um, from Mummy Matcha, it's been a pleasure to get to know you today and to record this episode of Mama Doesn't Tell Lies. We've got more to come. This is the kickoff of season two. We're diversifying through COVID, and good luck over the next couple of weeks. I know that the restrictions are easing, but by no means are we out of the woods yet. So I would imagine that there's an element of trying to stay extra safe with your daughter's case, but also just in general that children and parents and everyone that's going through this and the extended families that are missing out on their kids or whatever it may be, um, live through the chaos. And more importantly, don't stress about the um, piles of washing because I've got this insatiable guilt at the moment because I'm home, I should have no washing piles, yet they still just appear magically. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, then sit just there for because days. you have a vagina doesn't make that make you a laundry washing house cleaning expert. I think if there was something I could have contributed to society better over the lockdown period was to invent a machine that automatically sorts the washing and knows whose is who and puts it away. Um, <laughs> I think it's called a maid, um, but a robot would be better. I wish I'd studied some kind of engineering at the university. I know, instead. except you can't have cleaners come at the I moment. Know. So, you know, even that. My oh, house has never been filthier. And on that note, we will leave it there. It was great to chat to you and all the best with the, the evolution of Mummy Matcha. Thank you. I'm excited and thank you for having me. You've been listening to Mama Doesn't Tell Lies, the podcast sharing nothing but realness about parenting and kiddlywinks. Produced and hosted by me, Chloe Jeffers. Audio editing and production by Alice Miller. True stories by those willing to share.